Welcome to the Bibbidi Bobbidi Bros Podcast, where two bros come on and talk about Disney theme parks and all things entertainment because, well, they don't really have much else better to do. So take Brian Hall, his insane love of Disney, and his ability to do Disney impressions and mix it up with his best friend Paul, who also loves Disney entertainment. Mix them together, and what have you got? The Bibbidi Bobbidi Bros Podcast. Now here's your host, Brian Hull and Paul. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Bibbidi Bobbidi Bros Podcast. I'm your host, Brian Hull, and I'm joined by my best friend and co-host, Paula B. Do you like that? It's like a New Yorker, Paula B. Yeah, I, I was like, waiting. I was what? waiting for your extra oh, infectious. Like a, you want to say, because someone said I I crack their ears open when I did that on Instagram. They're you, like, you do that you a hurt lot. my ears, and I'm like, Shut that's up. why I keep saying I rip headphone users you. whenever you do that. I know, and I totally did, <laughs> and I felt bad. So I was like, I came in like a smooth, like jazzy. Polly B. <laughs> yeah, we got the we got the smooth jets coming in. We got DJ. My KJ my whole family is New York. So that could like Polly. See, it's Polly B. Yeah, Polly B. It works. I got you. It works in the long run. So we have an extremely special episode today, do we not? We have a really cool episode and I'm super excited about this because this guy's amazing and he's like the bomb.com. Yes. <laughs> That's old school. It's like 1990s version. That is 1990s. People are going to be like, "How old are you, Paul? <laughs> Mind your own business." That's how old I am. But yes, we have an extremely special guest for you guys. Please welcome to the podcast, the one, the only, Tony Bancroft! Hey! Oh! <laughs> thanks, for, <laughs> thanks for having me, you guys. It's always uh, always great being with you on a microphone or just sitting outside on a hot day. Whatever. Hey! Absolutely. Drinking tea. Drinking tea. Sweet tea. <laughs> Sweet there you go. You seven you boys. Go. That's right. Well, I'm excited to be here. Yay! Thank you so much, Tony. This is awesome. We're so excited. Yes, absolutely. This is kind of a a, kind of a reversal for uh, for us too, because you know my brother and I have the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. We recently had Brian as our special guest, so I guess he felt guilty, maybe, (laughs) and wanted to have me on your show. So, well, no, we talked about this. We talked about this earlier, like before uh, I did the collab with you. We'd already talked about you coming onto this one. Oh, that's true. No, that's it's true. Guilty. We did. No, it's no, no. no there is a guilt. contract. There is a contract somewhere that was signed in blood by both parties. <laughs> you weren't and supposed to talk about the contract. There's, there's expectations, legal <laughs> and otherwise, and emotional attachments all yeah. over the place. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. That's why Bernie did it. Mostly Absolutely. guilt. Mostly guilt. <laughs> yeah. There, there, there's a lot of feelings mm. that I just can't get Do out. Do you want to talk about it, Bernie? No, I love, I love listening to your podcast. By the way, guys, you guys are the most giddy dudes that I've ever met. <laughs> And, and well, Giddy and dudes are rarely put together, it's, except it's for true. In, the, in the realm and reality that is you guys. You and your brother uh, are pretty pretty happy-go-lucky people, though, in your podcast. We are. I don't think anybody's called us Giddy. I think they <laughs> might have called us spastic or weird or depraved. Or, there's a lot of different adjectives, Manic. I guess. There's a lot of words that could be thrown um, around. Silly, maybe, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, oh my, my gosh, God. that's funny. But, oh, yes. So for those guys who don't know who Tony Bancroft is, first of all, get out from under the rock that you're living under. Wow. Please. Yeah, really. That was just sad. Should I, should I, should I take that out? No, Is that too mean? It. No, get off. Okay. Get out from under the rock. If you're a true <laughs> Disney nerd, you know who Tony Bancroft is. Yes, Tony Bancroft uh, was one of the directors for Mulan, which was absolutely incredible. He yeah! Pre- he was supervising. <laughs> He was supervising Sorry. animator for Pumbaa on The Lion King. Hakuna Matata. 
<laughs> and Kronk on the Emperor's <laughs> New Groove. Oh, my spinach pops. <laughs> yes. I love it. I love it. So oh, oh, I'm sorry. Am I supposed to let you do all the impersonations? <laughs> hey, I forgot. Uh, Keep going. I'm having fun with it. <laughs> and then, just for good measure, just because I want to hear you do these two, too. Oh, Lord. He also animated Cogsworth on Beauty and the Beast. <laughs> I don't even know. And worked on Yago on Aladdin. What? What do oh, I got to do? <laughs> Have some fun with you two mooks. <laughs> that was good. That was actually very impressive. Yeah, I like it, Gilbert Gottfried. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty dang good, actually. Damn, I I I only know those voices because they're sawed into my brain, drilled into my head from just hearing them over and over again as I animated them. Animated them. You actually had to study them after the fact to get them into your dome, I guess. Right? Your dome. Yeah, yeah. I I did. I've watched all the Disney movies so many times. Most of them I can quote word for word because I had yeah. to watch them that much to learn the voices. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. <laughs> True but fans. It's What's a true it? statement. Absolutely. So can you tell us a little bit, like, how did you get started working with Disney? Did you just wake up one day when you were, like, seven and said, I want to go work for Disney? Like, how did that work? Isn't that how all animators start? That's, that's uh, yeah. how I would have started. I mean, you think so. But, I mean, the weird thing is that um, that was Disney was not my dream. Um, and I think it's kind of surprising for people to hear that. But I didn't wake up in the morning or I wasn't at an early age and said, my dream is to work for Disney someday. It was really to be a comic uh, strip artist. I I really was a huge fan of Calvin and Hobbes, you know, Bill Watterson, Charles Schultz and Peanuts, those characters. I always wanted to be a cartoonist. That's for sure. And I always wanted to create characters, but I never saw animation as a possibility. To me, it was like rocket science. I I thought there was some higher learning involved and wow. I would never get it. I didn't know how they figured out timing and how this many drawings equals this many seconds and of oh frames gosh. and film and doing lips. I just, it just seemed beyond me. And it wasn't until I, I really actually didn't have the change. Uh, <laughs> I had the change. It happened later <laughs> in life. And, but I, that, it didn't happen Late to bloomer. me really until, and, and that calling kind of hit me and that passion for animation developed when I was in um, college. I was going to a city college met a guy that was doing these cool clay animated films and um <clears throat> excuse me and i joined him in making an animated film with my twin brother tom and boom this like light went off and i was super excited and all of a sudden the world of animation opened itself to me wow Ooh. so claymation got you started into hand-drawn animation and then yes. into cg animation i was a huge my brother and i were huge will venton fans if you remember him he was the guy that created the raisins heard it through the grapevine commercials yeah. and all that and the noid for pizza hut yeah oh that. my gosh um yeah we used to follow him you know uh just all the time loved his work and thought clay animation is it stop motion that's what we wanted to do um but once we did that we were like we're not very good sculptors and yeah. not, you know not really good with my hands but we love to draw we are already drawing our own characters and comic strips and we just thought oh. how we should be able to just combine this. Oh yeah, that's called 2D animation. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's already a thing. Let's just do that. Uh, yeah, oh my gosh, go. that is such a cool story. Honestly, I've known you for a while now and I've never heard that story. You know, you never asked, Paul. That's because I don't care, Tony. There's, <laughs> there's a wow. difference. <laughs> it's going to be like this go. tonight. It's on. 
<laughs> the fur is flying no, but, tonight. Okay, so to be completely honest, like, so, you know, we all congregate in kind of, you know, similar groups. And yeah. because of that, I don't feel that I, you know, it's I'm not going to ask those questions. It's like, I don't know. I see you guys as just people. So it's not like, I don't see you as the job. I know like a lot of people see others as jobs. I just, I just don't do that. So I never ask. Right. Well, like, I mean, I don't it's care about I don't care about you, Brian. I don't care. Well, gosh, you do really. Well, Brian's well, on a pedestal for me. I don't know about you, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul, you know, you know, being a psycho, psycho, whatever guy he is, uh, psycho. I feel like one day he's going to be fixing me, so I I, I might get closer to you. I might. You might want to keep me a little close. You know. Yeah. And yeah. you know, I'll be closer to your pocket later with the money. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> your 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 wallet will be my best friend. Oh, goodness gracious. So, uh, what was the first job that you did when you first came to Disney? Yeah, so Tom and I both went to California Institute of the Arts, which is like the number one school, especially at that time. It was like the only school for animation at the time. So, um, like, there was literally like one in Canada and one out here, and it was CalArts. Wow. That was started by Walt Disney, and so um, they hired a lot. Disney hired a lot from from CalArts. So we didn't have enough money to really go for the whole four-year gig and get a degree, but we went as long as we could. And it was long enough that um, Disney came knocking and looked at portfolios from some of us students. And Tom and I both got picked up in an internship that led to us starting at the Disney MGM Studios right when it opened. So the Florida wow. studio that oh, is now gone great. and defunct uh, and closed down, it, that was just opening at the time. And um, the very first production we worked on was a short in Florida for a Roger Rabbit short that opened mm. with Dick Tracy. So yeah. it was a Roger Rabbit short that nobody saw because nobody saw Dick Tracy. <laughs> and it was called uh, Roller Coaster Rabbit. And then soon oh, after I did that, see that, you saw Roller Coaster Rabbit? Yeah, there's a compilation video somewhere that has like all the Roger shorts on it. So yeah. it's on there. Yeah, I found it on YouTube. Uh, I didn't watch Dick Tracy, so I didn't see it there. But yeah, nobody did. It's okay. Well, I wasn't alive when Dick Tracy nobody, came out. <laughs> when did that come out? It was in the 80s. Wait, the movie or like? I thought it was. Did it come out in the late 80s? Uh, yeah, it must have been late 80s because yeah. I got out of CalArts in 89, I want to say. Oh, my say. gosh. I think I started. I, lo- yeah. I, I love bo- Dick Tracy. I was born in 91, so I was. Why did no one a- watch Dick Tracy? What's wrong with people? I didn't watch it because I wasn't born. You didn't, I wasn't born yet. Yeah, I watched it later in life. Okay. I'm very disappointed in people right now. Anyway, <laughs> but yeah, but the first feature we worked on there at the Florida studio was Rescuers Down Under. So that was the very first oh. feature oh. that I worked on. Uh, what did you and do they were on actually, Rescuers? On Rescuers, I did. Um, I actually started out as a cleanup artist, which is kind of like an assistant to an assistant to. A, it's like the it's like the the, the street sweepers uh, entry <laughs> entry level artist job, if you will. Um, and. Um, but it was a great way to learn, and it was a great way to get close to the animators and see how they did their craft and, and learn from them. I was mentored by Mark Han and Dave oh, Steppen wow. and some of these oh really gosh. great animators at the time that were Ooh. in Florida. Learned a lot from them, and then, um, and then kind of moved up the ranks by kind of proving myself. But on that film, I actually transitioned from cleanup and did a couple little animated scenes as I moved back to California to be at the Burbank studio. Um, and I worked under Will Finn, who was doing Frank the Frilled Neck Lizard. So if you remember the little character oh, that's in the yes. cage, he's like, wood, wood, all we got to do is get the wood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, that, that was me. That was I, me. Oh, oh, Frank's wow. the best. I love Frank. 
Oh my gosh, yeah. I thought it was cool, cool. Yeah. I didn't know the voice Somebody was can... great. It was so, insp- you know, for an animator, when you get a great voice, and I worked on Kronk in Emperor's New Groove, I know I'm fast forwarding, but um, Patrick Warburton had so much for you to dig your, dig your claws into as an animator. It was just such a juicy performance, and that's what you really love is when you get a great voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and now you've worked with him quite a few times after Emperor's New Groove on some of your yeah. projects now, right? Yeah, I think I've worked with him four five times now oh wow yeah. good golly Molly. he's hilarious he is yeah. i love his voice he's such a unique voice he, mm-hmm. he's and he's a really great guy too and that's that's what makes it so great i think is when you get to know somebody on a personal level like i like i do know you guys and i mm-hmm. feel kind of privileged and kind of oh we feel privileged <laughs> the too. privilege is all ours, i have Tony. bumps on my hand and arms oh my god oh you got the hippies <laughs> goosebumps Goose uh, but yeah so it's uh it is cool it is cool when you get to know somebody and they're they're actually just as good as you'd you'd want them to be in real life <laughs> that's cool yeah but since we're on the topic of patrick warburton now i told one of my best friends in texas that we were gonna have this podcast together he listens to every episode and he's just having a ball with it and yeah. he said when you talk to tony you have to ask him this i'm like okay what were you there at the recording session for patrick warburton for emperor's new groove were you there to like oh sure yeah how funny was it to watch him do his own theme song <laughs> oh <laughs> Well, it's funny because, you know, when you're actually there in in real time, it's like there's a conversation and he's like, so what is this exactly? And he's trying to get the directors to give him some insight into what they're looking for. So when you kind of, you know, uh, uh, pull it out and, and extenuate the, you know, how it comes together, it's not as like, boom, you know, it's not like that inspired moment that you right. just fall off your seat because he just starts doing it. Um, although there has been times like that where he'll surprise us or do some improv or something like that where you just fall off your seat because it was unexpected. <laughs> but in that case of the theme song, it was really one of those things like it developed over four to five takes, you know? Oh, okay. And then gotcha. it's like, hey, but, uh, should it be more like, hey, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, or should it be like, hey, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, but, uh, do you want some like trumpets in there? You want more like a drum sound, you know? And, you know, I mean, you know, you know this, Brian, because you do this for a living, um, you know, that it's always like you kind of find the gag or find the moment. Yeah. Um, and oftentimes it doesn't always just like happen. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. You definitely have to play around with it. And then it's it's always like when you least expect it, that's when that joke comes in. Or mm. like, I know there's been a couple things I've done in a few films where it's just like they just kind of say, OK, just kind of go off on your own for a second. And then I inadvertently say like the joke that makes the movie or something yeah yeah so boy you're holding yourself on a little no bit i don't mean like you. that wow I mean, yeah. okay. I, I meant to say the and character not made the, the entire movie. movie because no of one I, I meant that makes the character not it's the like, movie i said the wrong I'm thing i apologize uh, i'm kind of the money maker here it's not a big deal I mean. yeah. it's a, you know that one line that made beauty and the beast that was me because you know i said that improv i'm a genius oh right anyway um, yeah, but, you know, working with uh, great talent like that is awesome. And I've done it from different perspectives. So um, when I was a supervised animator on Pumbaa, I was at all the recording sessions with Nathan Lane and Ernie Zabella, of course. I was at a lot of those sessions with Gilbert Gottfried and stuff. On, so on, they, that's great that the directors allow uh, the animators in because we're 
we're kind of sketching. I'm, I'm always like drawing and sketching and trying to get, you know, facial reactions. And, and we actually videotape them too while they're doing it, trying to get some kind of spontaneous little looks or expressions that we can look at later. Um, but, but I've also been on the, in the director's chair where I've had to, you know, work with the actors to try and build that performance. Um, and, and, you know, obviously being an animator, a lot less pressure. So I get to just sit there and draw and that's a lot of fun. And then I, you know, try and have lunch with the actors and buddy up to them. <laughs> but, <laughs> but as the, as the director, you know, you're a little bit, you're a little bit harsher on them and, and, you know, um, and maybe, maybe you don't always have the, the fun relationship at the end of it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You don't really think of it that way. I, I mean, I don't, I'm not in this industry, so I really don't understand, but you don't really think of it that way. Yeah. You really don't tend to think of it that way, but yeah. It, and you have a very interesting situation since you started as cleanup, then went to animator, yeah. then supervising animator, then all the way to director, uh, all within a relatively short amount of time. It, uh, which one of those jobs was like your favorite? Which one did you really gravitate towards out of those? I mean, hands down, um, since I since I had that light bulb moment of wanting to be a Disney animator, wanting to get in a 2D animation back at CalArts so many years ago, I wanted to be an animator. And I love to draw and I love to create characters. So hands down, being an animator is where it's at for me. Um, I like... Um, you know, from a bread and butter and supporting the family and kind of moving up the ladder thing, the director thing has been great. And I love, I love opening myself to story now where I, as an animator, you're kind of in the trenches of a scene by scene by scene kind of thinking. Um, and you're thinking less about, you know, the overall picture and the perspective changes dramatically once you put on that director's hat. Um, and I love that element and that challenge. Um, but there's just so many um, headaches involved in meetings and things like that when you're a director that I, I, when I was doing Mulan and directing that, the thing that I craved the most, the thing that I thought about the most was just being able to go back to my art desk, shut the door and draw. And that's what I, that's, that was my, my, my one fantasy was during Aww. Mulan. And, um, and I did it a couple of times. I actually animated four shots uh, during the making of Mulan because I just, I, I just had to get back to the desk and draw and be part of feeling like I actually made, had part of a bigger part to do with it. It sounds crazy when I say that, but I just wanted to be in the trenches and actually make some scenes that were actually in the movie instead of talk about them and direct people and try and be creative and come up with ideas and which always seems like, you know, very much in the background. And I just wanted to actually have my drawings on the screen. <laughs> That's what I missed. Oh, I totally understand. Yeah. And if you're the director, you should at least be able to direct, uh, to be able to animate a couple scenes if you want to. Yeah. Yeah. I took one from my brother, too. He hated that. <laughs> you took one of his Mushu scenes? I did. I did. There was a there was a Mushu scene where he gets, uh, you know, where he's uh, talking to the, uh, the, the, the main ancestor and mm -hmm. he's, the ancestor says, go! And he throws him outside of the temple and he goes skid 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 and he pops yeah. his head back in and he says so you get back to me on that job thing and then <laughs> and gong the in, the in the face yeah gong in the face that was my scene oh nice. that's that one of one my scene. favorite scenes that's hilarious <laughs> tony did a very good job i loved it well i like doing you know physical kind of pantomime stuff i like doing 
really physical comedy and and that was that's why I took that one because it was it was a laugh scene because of the gong in the face uh, you know you, you can't go wrong with somebody being slapped or hit or something like that <laughs> mm-hmm. you know when we were doing uh, 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 who framed Roger Rab- or Roger Rabbit shorts like roller coaster rabbit um, we had a motto and our motto was always like you know hurt the rabbit and because <laughs> anything to do any any gags that had to do with Roger Rabbit getting something in his face or getting stuck in the butt or anything like that that was a sure laugh, you know? So, um, that's kind of a industry standard for animation is, you <laughs> hurt know, the rabbit, hurt the hurt rabbit, the rabbit. Hurt the rabbit. Yeah. That is In, yeah. For you know, in Mulan, it was hurt the dragon. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. When you were, um, able to actually go back and, you know, kind of be in your little studio and shut the door. Was that like very therapeutic to you being in such a high stress position as a director? Oh yeah, I mean just to shut out everything. Because when I when I animate and 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 I know you guys are creative guys, and I know Brian, you like to draw too. When you when you start to sit down and you go, for me, I go into a place. You know, there's a there's a place that exists that I go to when I start drawing, and I get sucked into this world of fantasy and make believe and and pencil on paper, and it just it just sends me somewhere else, and all of a sudden. The, the cares of the world whisk away and I'm just in, and time flies by. I mean, I've, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many times my wife has come in to my office when I'm animating <laughs> or drawing something and said, it's dinner time. You know that, right? Where are you? And I'm like, what, what? It was breakfast time 10 oh, minutes oh ago. My <laughs> that's crazy. But yeah. that's cool that you get to have some of that, you know, kind of therapeutic care in mm-hmm. the moment, especially being in such a high stress situation. That's pretty cool. Yeah. It is. I mean, because at Disney, nobody will give you a hug. So, and oh, for good reason. Oh my gosh, that's sad. John, John Lasseter tried, but that didn't go too well. <laughs> oh, 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 too early. Oh, oh my <laughs> word. Oh, I, I don't. That was. Oh that was man, intense. I hope he never hears this podcast. <laughs> that was awesome. Wow. Oh, that was good. That was that good. Was a, that oh. was really good. We're just stumbling now. We're just stumbling on the ground now, trying to get back up. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Anyway, okay, moving on. Moving yes. on, because that was intense. That, that was, was, that was intense. some shade, Tony. Woo. All right. shade. Now, uh, I, have, I have to ask about this character, because he is one of my favorite characters of all time. Is Pumbaa. Pumbaa, yeah. <laughs> I have to talk about him for a second. Yeah. How hard was it for you? Because... As a supervising animator, you also had to design the character, right? Yes. How yes. hard was it to make a warthog look cute? That, uh, you know, it's funny because uh, it's funny you asked that question because that's the one thing I talked about after the movie was over and we did like EPK stuff and, um, you know, uh, media blitz things and, um, you know, all these kind of, you know, interviews and stuff. That was the one thing I would talk about is that, you know, warthogs really are probably the ugliest animal in the animal kingdom. You know, if there was like a like yeah. a beauty show or something like that, a, a pageant, you know, Pumbaa Pumba would never make it. Probably and so, not. That would be awesome. So to find a way to you know simplify that down, what a real warthog looks like, there was a lot of experimenting. Um, I would say that I probably worked on those designs, and all of us on Lion King, we had a we had an extended time where they were working on the story and having some story issues. So it gave us extra time during the design phase. So I probably worked like six months on uh from the wow. point i got onto it to the point that the model sheets were approved and we started animation that was probably a good and that's that's unusually long i wouldn't say that's the norm um and it's funny that if you look at some of the first drawings that 
Chris Sanders, who was a major influence on the design of that movie. He was an art director, but he also did storyboards and stuff early oh, on. Oh, I didn't know Chris Sanders did that much on The Lion King. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a wow. art director or co-art director, I want to say. I know he was an art director and, and art directed some of the sequences like the Can't Wait to be King and things like that have his touch on it for sure. Um, but anyway, he, he did some of the early character designs, particularly of Puma and Timon. And it's funny that <laughs> when it... I have and one of these days, Brian, I'll have to share this with you and you too, Paul, if you're interested. I think you would be. Please. Um, I have a folder that has every single, almost every single drawing that I did of Puma during that. What? Oh, oh I have to see this now. Oh, oh yeah. And you cool. can see, you know, some of the early inspiration of Chris Sanders drawings and some other character designers that we had on yes. there, Rick Mackey and things. And then what I did. And, and then I took it really far away and then ultimately came back to kind of what the cute little appeal that Chris Sanders had in his original sketches. That's almost where we ended up. I mean, but the journey was important because there was small details and big details that came out of that journey that uh, are all in baked into that final design. But it's amazing when you see Chris Sanders original sketches, that first impetus of inspiration. Um, It kind of started, started it in there in a lot of ways. Oh, wow. Yeah, and for those of you guys listening who's not familiar with Chris uh, Chris Sanders, he you'll probably know him best. He did a he was one of the directors on Lilo and Stitch, and uh, most recently, uh, we have How to Train Your Dragon three coming out oh, this past weekend, and he was a big part of the How to Train Your Dragon team as well over at DreamWorks. So yeah, he co-directed the, the first one, and mm-hmm. yeah, and and the Croods too. He did both, and the Croods, uh, yeah. yeah, he did the first one, yeah. Absolutely. So I'm can, sitting. Can over there I auction oh. off your uh, portfolio? <laughs> that folder you have. No, <laughs> let the man keep it. No? Oh, it was a, it was a silly question. I know uh, the ARL, the Animation Research Library at Disney, has asked me for those drawings, but um, technically they've been in my domain for so many years that they're my property. But they would love to have them back as archival things, and I don't know. Maybe one day. Maybe one day I'll donate donate them back to the company. So yeah. that actually is like your intellectual property? Yeah. Oh, wow. That is cool. Oh, my as God. As far as this podcast knows, yes. <laughs> as far as the podcast knows. Or we knows. can just cut that part All out. All right. Okay. Or we could cut that part yeah. out. We could. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now, I have a, I have another question for you. This, this could be one that, you know, if you can't answer it, I totally understand. But out of all the characters that you've worked on, including the characters in Mulan, do you have a favorite? Out of all those, I mean, voice-wise, hands down would be Patrick Warburton Cronk. But mm-hmm. um, character-wise, and the role that it, uh, this character had in the film would be Pumbaa. Um, yeah, and he was—he was. I have drawn Pumbaa, I would say, a thousand times more than any other Disney character. Anyway, so <laughs> um, you would think that I was like uh, violently ill whenever anybody <laughs> asked me to to draw Pumbaa, but yet I still love it. It feels like home to me. It feels like um, he feels like family. I really, I really that's feel that cool. way about Pumbaa. That's great. Oh I my love gosh, that. that's heartfelt. That's nice. That's very heartfelt. I thought you were about to say I love all my characters the same, but I like that answer way better. I do too. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, no, they're not all. They're not all equal because, uh, you know, there's two ways I look at characters and the, the, the films that I've worked on. One is from the, you know, the yearbook experience of, you know, it was a bunch of people and I liked some and I didn't like some. 
<clears throat> and there was arguments and, and looking at the uh, at the films today, it's almost like a, a yearbook. I feel like I'm going back in a, a memory of all these events and seeing you know people and emotions. Um, but then I also think of it from the standpoint of characters brought to life and the artistic creative side. So um, for me, it's it's hard to um, I, I have love hate relationships with all the films and all the characters because of those mm-hmm. two different qualities mm-hmm. and, and how I see them. Um, because you can't you can't disassociate the you know all the feelings and emotions of you know good experiences and bad experiences and arguments and things like that that happened during the production but then also you know the outcome and and the rewards of creating characters that live on forever and have obviously influenced people like you brian hall so tremendously mm-hmm. is is a, a a joy you know and and that's the part that's more like giving birth you know that's the part that you know um and, and it isn't in that way. Paul, you have a, a, a brand new baby, I know, so um, um, and, and an older one, too. So you know what it is to be a father to something where you like, yes, you made that that being come into being. And mm-hmm. yet there's all the when you look at them, you also remember the ups and downs of potty training and arguments, <laughs> and you know, free will right. that they have. And and so I kind of think of the movies that way and the characters that I've worked on, too. There's a. There's a love of creation, but there's also there's some baggage in there too. That's that hard to hard to face sometimes, you know. But it all wraps up together in a great experience. That's awesome. Absolutely, it kind of reminds me of something. Uh, I don't know if you've seen this documentary, but Waking Sleeping Beauty. Yes, yes, I'm yeah. in it a couple times. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You were you in it are? a couple times. Yeah. Duh. Very, Sorry. very briefly. It's yeah, been I'm a while. Interviewed. It's been a while since I've since I've watched it. Yeah, but it reminded me of that line. I forgot who said it. Maybe it was Don Hahn. I think it was, uh-huh. but somebody in there was just like, "At the end of the day, it doesn't matter who said what to who, whose ego was hurt, or what problem was going on. The fact is, these films are timeless and forever, and will forever touch another generation." And I was just like, "That's beautiful." It <laughs> is, and 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 it's so Don to say something like that because he had a way of just you know, being in the trenches, but also pulling himself out and saying, but, but look what we're doing, you know? And and it kind of had to remind the crew a lot of times too, because when you're, when you're in the moments of overtime and exhaustion and your hands cramping up or people are needing massages because they're, you know, they're getting carpal tunnel syndrome Mm. and they're wearing bandages and whatever, or relationships at home are really strained because of the long hours. It's hard to remember that. And, yeah, I can't tell you how many times I've worked on these Disney films and every single one you think, is this really going to be beloved? Is this, you don't, you just don't think about the ultimate impact that they're going to have on the next generation and the next generation. You kind of think we're just doing, we're just in the now, we're just making this thing. And really, you know, what does it all mean? Um, because there's really no way at the time that you're making it, right. that Lion King would become Lion King, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was the B film. It was the film that, Disney was not really proud of or didn't think would do well. They didn't think it was going to be successful. Yeah, and, they thought Pocahontas was going to be their winner. Yeah, that was the A film, and we were the B film. And um, and we also, Lion King was made by, a lot of people don't realize this, but it's probably one of the uh, films that had the greenest um, talent pool that worked on it, like first-time directors, wow. first-time supervisors, first-time art directors. I mean, all the way down the line, including first time musical composers like Elton John doing the music and st- I mean there was nothing about it that was like a slam dunk there right. was everything was 
I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. I have no idea. You know. Yeah, from what I understand, they... the only member of the quote-unquote A-team, I don't like using that term because I think you guys are just as good, uh, yeah. but the only member from the A-team who came over was Andreas Deja because he was he was very much like Jungle Book was his favorite, so he wanted to work on an animal film. He did, and, and he really wanted to do the villain too, and I think he... He, um, you know, no pun intended, but really wanted to sink his teeth into Scar. <laughs> and, um, and he wasn't being offered much over on Pocahontas. And I think he wanted to avoid um, being compared to Glenn Keane's performance or being compared mm-hmm. to, you know, whoever um, over there on Pocahontas. Because you're right, that was the, I don't mind saying it, that was the A team. We were the B team. We were the, the juniors, the rookies that, you know, that was my first time being a supervised animator. I wouldn't have gotten that opportunity if we didn't kind of split units and one team went over to Pocahontas and the other one stayed to work on uh, Lion King. And all the people that had any sense and any experience and any say went over to Pocahontas. And everybody mm-hmm. that didn't have a choice and we were new and we were green stayed on the Lion King, except mm. for Andreas, like you said. So um, it, it, it was a huge, we had a chip on our shoulder. We wanted to prove ourselves. and. I think that was a big part of the success of the Lion King. <laughs> you really yeah, proved you, yourself. You more than proved yourself there. <laughs> oh my gosh! Oh goodness gracious! Uh, and yeah, and just recently you worked with Disney again with Mary Poppins Returns, right? Yeah, yeah. And that one, I was, you know, it was not a starring role that I had on that. It was really just filling out the crew that worked on the two D animation in that one sequence where they go in the bowl and everything. And I worked with. Um, an outside group in Pasadena, Duncan Studios, did all the 2D animation because Disney doesn't do 2D animation anymore, so they had to kind of sub it out. I don't mind saying that, although Disney hates it. Um, <laughs> but but it's the truth. And um, But I still worked. The crazy thing was I remember walking into Duncan Studios um, for the first time when I got hired, and I heard the sound. Of the paper? And it was the paper flipping because – um, Rob Marshall, the director, wanted to do it old school way, just like they did Pocahontas. So we did we did it all paper on pencil, or, or pencil on paper, and um, so we were flipping. And just to be in a room full of animators flipping their animation and creating mm-hmm. side by side again, just like it took me back twenty years. It was amazing, that just is like awesome. that. Just that mm-hmm. sound, you know, took me back, and I loved working on it. It was a it was a lot of effort. Uh, working on that because it's a lot of dancing animals and choreography and very technical animation that had to be produced, but um, but also just a ball, just to be back pencil on paper. Mm-hmm. That is awesome! Oh my gosh! Yeah, because now uh, you are an independent director for animation on your own, right? Yeah, yeah. I've been independent now for the last f- fifteen years or so. I even had my own animation company after leaving Disney. So um, yeah. I, I do a lot of smaller, lower, indi- you know, independent features. I have one that we're trying to get out right now called Animal Crackers. Mm-hmm. That we're hoping to get distribution this this year or something. And then also, um, I just started as a consulting director on another film uh, being produced in China. I do a lot of stuff with China. I do a lot of stuff with New Zealand. I have another film that I'm executive producing uh, called Mosley for a New Zealand studio. Yeah, I remember seeing the trailer oh, for yeah. that that you shared. And I was like, oh, that's cool. Like this creature kind of looks like a elephant-donkey hybrid thing. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it is fun because I grew up with like uh, Bill Pete storybooks, um, children's yes. books. And some people might know the Wing Ding Dilly. Um, 
And it, it kind of reminded me of that as this kind of fictional creature made up of a, a lot of other creatures. Oh, yeah. And, I love um, that one. and so the story is about these misfits that um, realize or come to find out that um, historically, like back in their ancient times, they used to be they used to live upright and they were kind of in charge of the humans. And now now they're slaves to the humans. Oh. And so they're trying to kind of find their way back to what they originally would be and it's and it's loosely based uh, or allegorical for the Moses story really for oh, you know cool. um, um, the Jews leaving and um, and all that so it was there was there's a lot it works on a lot of levels and um, it was fun it, it's been a lot of fun to be a part of that so yeah I do I do a lot of smaller things here and there and um, try and influence smaller independent films because I also am a teacher now, and I, I'm a program director at Azusa Pacific University, where I run the animation department too, and I teach. So that's been a lot of fun too. I don't I don't really do just one thing anymore. You're, well, hey, you're, that's funny. Yeah. Every day's an adventure, right? It is. It really is. <laughs> He's like, yes, yes, it is. Doesn't matter. <laughs> now, one last question before we go into our next segment, and this is not a segue or anything, but what would you say is your favorite Disney film? Well, Brian and Paul, I would have to say, hands down, um, when somebody asks me what my favorite film is, it's not one of the more recent ones. I think back to the classics. And when I think back to the classics, like in the 1950s and 60s, which is my favorite period, um, it's Lady and the Tramp. Hands down. No, you don't say. Lady and the Tramp. What a coincidence. Why, are you guys talking about that tonight? Yeah, that's our Disney film of the week. Weird. No, we, we totally you planned that. We, I, I, I asked him what his favorite Disney film was, and we're like, we're, we're going to make sure you're on for wait, that Wait, wait, this is crazy. Wait, though. You know what we didn't do? What? The Disney fact. <gasps> we didn't do the Disney we fact of the week. We need to do the Disney fact. Oh, I love it when you guys do that. I want to hear that. Yes. Do you have oh, one? We've got to do the Disney fact of the week. Oh, I'm so sorry. I, for, I was so excited about getting in the interview. I missed it. So here we go. <clears throat> Disney fact of the week with Brian and Paul. <laughs> I don't know why that makes me laugh. Well, because you love the king from yeah. Alice in Wonderland, because and that's where it came from. he's such a nerd. Like, he just... And the king. <laughs> and the king. I love him. Yeah, just... Oh, my gosh. So, the Disney fact of the week uh, does have to do with Lady and the Tramp, so it's, it's great like we're, we're here. What? Nothing. <laughs> Lady and the Tramp is like no, your marriage? The, I wouldn't mind. use it's those. the Queen and King of Hearts. Like, okay. okay. I stand behind Angie and the and Paul. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Angie, right away. There you go. <laughs> but yeah, this Disney fact of the week is uh, that the opening of Lady and the Tramp, where you see uh, Jim Deere give Darling Lady, and you see that uh, Lady's putting a little hat box and everything, that was actually based off of what Walt Disney did for his wife Lillian. Uh, at one point, Walt really wanted a dog, but Lillian was against it. And he was just like, you know what? If I get her a dog, she's going to fall in love with this thing. So let's just put in a little hat box, make it really special on Christmas Day. So he did that and it worked. She fell in love with the dog and everything. But then later when they made Lady and the Tramp, he's like, well, I want to incorporate that into the movie. So he did. So that's basically exactly what happened when Walt gave Lillian their dog. I love that. That's pretty cool. I need to do that, that if I want cool. a dog. I'll put it in the hat box and introduce it to Angie. She'll smack me. Well, you already got a dog. I want another one. Well, I just got a dog. Come over and play with Sandy. I want... <sighs> it's not about you, Brian. I'm not saying it's about me. I'm saying you can come play with I her. I want to put a dog in a hat box with holes and eggs. I don't want it to die. Well, then go get a hat box and... Uh, put, put G in it. Or put Sandy. <laughs> I'm doing it. 
Did you give me a present? No, I just wanted to put a dog in a box. <laughs> well, and make sure oh, you put holes because we don't want to hurt any dog. Oh my gosh, this is crazy. <laughs> I thought you guys were going to talk about the fact that uh, Peggy Lee, who's the uh, the voice of uh, oh, what is she? What character is oh, she? Oh, Peg. Peg, and she sings a song in it that she later sued in 1988. She sued the Disney company what? for 3.2 million dollars for back pay and residuals once it came out on VHS. <laughs> Oh my gosh, yeah. I didn't know that. Oh my goodness. Because she didn't, didn't know that. Yeah, she didn't only do Peg, but she also did Cy and M, the two cats. That's right. Yeah. So she got she probably wanted even more for that one too. Oh yeah. my word. That's I didn't insane. Know that. Oh my gosh. It is it Wait. is true. Yeah, she made uh and it was a, a really a precedent a precedent a precedent setting um uh you know um a ruling actually because it, it could open up the the box pandora's box for a lot of voice actors to get residuals mm-hmm. and she had a very specific contract that was drawn up at that time and it was loosely worded enough that suggested that she would get residuals or part of <clears throat> any kind of income from any kind of reproductions it just kind of said any reproductions and so when vhs came about and of course michael eisner and disney made a ton of money uh, during those days in the, oh, yeah. in the 80s by the vhs craze um, and so she got a lawyer. She lawyered up and went after him and took out this old contract that she had, you know, probably signed by Walt Disney or somebody. And um, and and wh- it took her. It wasn't until 19, I want to say like 94 or something like that or 99 that she actually won the money. Wow. But, uh, it took a long time. It took over 10 years uh, to go through this Ooh. trial with Disney. But she hung in there and she said, uh, you know, it was. Uh, it was. She said, I, "I don't know why they were so hard on this, but uh, you know, I guess a mouse just needs his cheese." <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Way to go, Peggy Lee! Stand Peggy up, Lee. stand up for yourself. Hey, way to go, girl! That's yeah. awesome. Oh yeah, but yeah, we uh, sat down, watched Lady and the Tramp again, and my goodness, I just I forget how much I love this one. But yeah, I was curious that whenever uh, I asked you that, and I was like, "What's your favorite?" I was expecting you to say like Fantasia or Snow White or Pinocchio, but when you said Lady and the Tramp, I was like, I really want to hear your reasons why. What is it about Lady and the Tramp that just gets your attention more than anything else? I guess as an animator, I've always loved anthropomorphized character, and I know that's a big word, but it basically means you know characters that are brought to life that aren't usually imbued with humanistic traits. So like uh, like I did Cogsworth, a, a steel clock, an object. Mm-hmm. And brought life to it. That's anthropomorphizing Cogsworth. Um, and when you when you add a voice and create humanistic uh, attributes uh, to a dog or something like that, you're 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 that's called anthropomorphizing. So I loved that. One thing about Lady and the Tramp is that a lot of the nine old men worked on it. They didn't all touch each one together, all nine. But you know, many of them worked on Lady and the Tramp, and some of the shots in there by Milt Call of Tramp, who mostly did the Tramp. Um, and him being one of the best of the nine old men really got a lot of humanistic uh, acting attributes that he put into um, into Tramp and and Lady and I love Jock and I love John Lounsbury's job that he did with some of those dogs and the the jowliness of it but also Mm -hmm. I don't know there's it's just um, it really resonates with me as being awesome performances that are are 100 percent dog and yet seems very much 100 percent human still too and somehow mm-hmm. they found this great balance in the performances they really did they really did especially yeah. like whenever you look 
at the few human characters who we can see their face, like Tony and uh, and Joe over at the restaurant. Mm, yeah, there's so there's so much character and so much life in that animation, it, it with the people, and you realize it's just it's just as much there, if not more so, with the dogs as well. And it, yeah, they just did a beautiful job. There's not a lot of characters, but within these few amount of characters to tell the story, there is so much character there. So, what do you like about it, Paul? I want to hear Paul. <laughs> You know what's so funny? You guys are talking all like animation, lingo, techie. Right. And here's me. I'm like, I just like the era. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I loved, love that era. It's like well, early 1900s. Yeah, it was about, I want to say. About then. I think it was supposed to take place in like 1915 or something. Is that when it was? I want to say it was like around the early yeah, 1900s. It must have been, yeah. It's got very kind of Victorian kind of look. Yeah, and I yeah. love that period, especially if it was Victorian, because I love the Victorian period. And so anything like that, I just absolutely fall in love with. And so that, to me, is one of my favorite parts of the movie. Even though it was great acting, great animation, I love, 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 love um, Peg. Yeah. Right? I love, she's such a sassy old yeah, broad. give us one Peg. <laughs> I just it almost sounded like Pete. <laughs> I just love her. I mean, she is such a like. Oh, she is. She is so awesome, and I just adore. Her. So the point is, I like them, and then you have you guys who are just like, well, you know, the third frame to the left when you go to the right cell of the right pixel, yeah. you'll see. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Right now. now I know. Now you know how I feel whenever you come home and you're just like, oh, this part of the brain was freaking out whenever this dude said that and da 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 and this dude has this problem with him and i'm just like i heard no words in english <laughs> so yes i understand now i understand that we can both speak another language yeah that yet it's still english weird yeah here you go but that is one of my favorite parts of lady and the tramp is just the mm -hmm. all-around feel of it i think it's a really good i just i like one and i like the songs i like peg songs yeah, I don't like I don't like Pe the the Italian waiter the the waiter like the, yeah, the Italian Tony? scene yeah Tony Tony and I Joe. do like that scene it is a classic scene I totally understand that yeah you have to like that one I I don't have to like anything Brian <laughs> this is a free America oh, are, are you about to make an Italian thing no I'm not oh okay um, but, but 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 I have to say my favorite song or uh, scene is actually Peg's um song Peg's song yeah well she only has one song. Yeah, well, technically she had, uh, well, the actress has two, but Peg herself only has one. Right, and that is, like, literally my favorite yeah. scene because she is He's so cool. She's a train. Okay, let's not pretend to be her. Maybe you shouldn't pretend to be her. <laughs> just not going to work out. Okay, fine. Your issues that you already have. Um. Anyways, <laughs> but yeah, it's that is one of my favorite. Thank you for asking, Tony. Brian never asks. I know. He just stares I, I just at me. wanted to include you a little I bit in, the, in our geekiness. Thank you. Hey, hey, Paul. Did you realize <laughs> that uh, that Lady and the Tramp is also the very first animated feature to be filmed in CinemaScope, which was a larger widescreen format that was what? popular at the time? I, I did was, not know that. I was going to mention that. I totally forgot that. But yeah, I didn't know that. Thank you, Tony. I did not well, know that. I seriously. And you know what that that means is that means that it's a, a more of a stretch frame. There's more frame on the left and right, which means that animators could include more characters which meant that it took longer to animate because there was oh. more details included in the frame it meant that layout artists had to totally redo how they kind of thought about camera angles and camera moves and pans and things like that because they had a wider frame to deal with um, wow. background artists like ivan earl got um, yeah. he was one of the main background artists on lady and the tramp who later became the art director of Disney's Sleeping Beauty, of course. Oh, um, yeah. But you'll beautiful. see some, there's some scenes in there of some 
oh man, some of the backgrounds in Lady and the Tramp are just mind blowing. And a lot of that is Ivan Earl. That's crazy. Is this like Earl and Ives? <laughs> like that Earl? Burl Ives? Yeah. No. No. Not, not the Earl. same guy I'm thinking. No, I'm <laughs> yeah, like I know all guys, but he is an amazing artist, apparently. Yeah. yeah. He's incredible. That's actually pretty good information. I didn't know any of that. Now, I think I've said this on a previous podcast. Like, I've always, I've always, um, I've always sometimes get upset whenever people are like, oh, this scene scared me. Like, this scene scares me. Like, I really do that with pink elephants. And I'm just like, why? It, there's, it's not scary. It's just a little weird. But And I've always said that there's never been an animated movie that scared me except for Fantasia with Chernabog. That's been the only oh, time. Yeah. But there is one movie that came close. And that was actually Lady and the Tramp that scared me what? as a kid. It was that rat. That oh, rat at the end of the movie, for some okay. reason, just looked like it crawled out of the pits of hell. <laughs> it was his glowing eyes, right? It's the glowing eyes. They're terrifying. <laughs> yeah. As an adult, I'm sitting there going, why was I so terrified of this? But as a kid, <laughs> I was just like, it's a demonic what rat. What is wrong with this rat? I will come from the pits of hell and scare Brian. <laughs> I just think about it. Tramp, like... Uh, like I, uh, I grew up in Texas, and I had little dachshunds, but we lived out in the country, so we would get rats and mice and stuff just because you're out in the country. And I've seen my little dachshunds take out rats like, like it's nobody's business. They'll right. just go run out there and, oh, and then that thing's dead. Is that how they sound? They really do. They Jeez. really sound like a squeaky toy when they're <laughs> dying. It's crazy. So sorry if people are listening and they're like, oh, no, the rat. Uh, no, but... <laughs> sorry. Didn't mean to do that to Oh my you. god, I love that. But, that was such a little tantrum. But yeah, it's just like, I'm sitting there going, Tramp had to fight this massive, oversized, glowing eye rat so long when my dogs can, can just instantly kill one. This rat has got some sort of mutant gene in it. <laughs> this magical know, he's power. He's like the Godzilla of rats. <laughs> he's like the Godzilla of rats. <laughs> it's like brain, Pinky and the Brain like found another like lab rat and made him into a monster that he's going to use to take he, over the oh, world or I was going to say, he wants to take over the world. That makes sense. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's fun. That's the one movie that scared you. Well, I mean, it, it didn't you truly scare me. me. It didn't truly scare me, but it got close enough for me to be like really uncomfortable Virgin scared. But <laughs> so Fantasia with me, like literally have nightmares on PTSD. I had nightmares. I had nightmares <laughs> about Chernabog. I had nightmares but about with, Chernabog. But a rat scared. And you got me yeah. getting scared of a whale eyes. Really? A rat? Hey, rats carry diseases <laughs> and we're in charge of the Black Plague. Whales have never <laughs> harmed us. But they poop in the That's ocean. That's true. And, so? And they can give where us Where are diseases. they going to poop? They can give us pink eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is really funny. But oh, I was at work today. Gosh. And there was a, there was a, a uh, not a colleague, but a, a, someone that I, I work with. Um, and they said they have pink eye. And they're like, I have pink eye. And because they thought someone farted and you can get pink eye from that. And I'm like, no, you can't get pink eye. You can't <laughs> fart out conjunctivitis. Like, that's not how that works. We have this whole thing. So when I heard poop in the ocean, I'm like, you get pink eye from the ocean now. Well, you're the one who said it. You're I like, know. I had poop, to say it. ocean. Oh, it made... <laughs> yeah, it made me think of pink eye in the ocean. You can't get pink eye. I mean, you could in the ocean, but it's not from a fart. Or a whale fart. Can you imagine? That'd be awesome. A whale fart? I'm sure that's what happens with some of the tsunamis. <laughs> I was just thinking that. I was just thinking, it must be a tsunami when a whale farts. <laughs> oh my god, a whale farted? No! That would be horrible. It destroys countries. God. I hope it doesn't do that. Oh my god. Can you imagine like the husband and wife conversation of that? Bill, did you just fart? No, why? Because the tsunami's going towards Montana right now. We have a problem. Oh, did it again. <laughs> Dang it, Madge. I'm sorry. It's okay, Bill. Just eat your krill. 
your crow hopefully calms down your tummy. There goes Los Angeles. Oh, crap. We're going to hear a bunch of things now. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I would love to be in that conversation. That would be amazing. Uh, These are the weird I, conversations we have. Yes, yes, Tony. Hey, I got a, I got a, another trivia question for you guys. Oh, yeah. like that kind of thing. Yeah. So at the end of the film, I hope I'm not – spoiler alert. Hope I'm not giving too much away. <laughs> Spoiler Lady and the Tramp get together. Friend. They kind of pseudo get married, right? And they have kids. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We, don't, we, don't, we don't know if they're actually married, but we assume it being an old school Disney film. That they, yeah. they probably tied the knot. But they had kids. How many kids did they have? And how many looked like Lady and how many looked like oh, the Tramp? Oh, I actually know this. I was about to say, let you take it because I know it, but let, let, pe- oh, let Paul wait. take it. Wasn't it two and two? No. No, what is it? So it was four four puppies total. Right. Three looked like Lady. One looked like Tramp. Right. Did That's they have it. names? Well, I don't uh, know the names. They did in the direct to video sequel, but they yeah, did not the sequel is all about you know the kids getting yeah. older and taking over. Of course, you would know that. You would know that. Of course, you would, Brian. It's my yeah. job to know these. It's things. not your. No, it is your job. <laughs> I was about to say my job is to talk Disney on the internet. That it's is, my job that is to a know. True statement. <laughs> oh my god. I, well, you get a raise. Yay! Oh, nice. I want a raise. What What was it? Someone on Twitter commented on the fact that we did trivia for um, the dragon, How I Met Your Dragon. How, how I Met Your Dragon. I how just I Met com- Your Dragon? <laughs> I just combined. So, kids, this is what happened 10 years ago whenever I met my dragon. <laughs> how I Met Your Dragon. That would be how I met Let's get Neil Patrick Harrison. That's a good, like, Disney mm. spinoff for Mushu. Right? right? How I Met Your Dragon? Yeah, oh my how God. I Met yeah. Your Dragon. Come on, man. Oh, my God. That's, that's right. That'd be told by Mulan. Like, yeah, that's right. Kids. Hi, that's kids. Right. Do you remember? Um, anyway, so, oh, what was I going to say? Oh, man, now I forgot. It was trivia, How to Train Your Dragon, oh, yeah, Twitter. Yeah, so everyone's all like, of course, Brian can do it, blah, blah, blah. And then this one solo guy who I commented on, like, 300 times and retweeted was... I had no faith. <laughs> and I'm like, nice. He was like me. Had he had no... no faith in you. Really? No. Really? He's like, I didn't think he'd get him. And then he got mad like me. I get so mad when you get it, like all the questions right. Well, you it. you did it with How to Train Your Dragon that I literally just watched I both of them to study for gave videos you this week. Three and a half milliseconds of music, and you're like, boom, this is the composer and the song name. You also realized that that was my favorite soundtrack in high school. I'm not surprised. <laughs> John Powell did a wonderful job with that score. Did you get made fun of a lot in high school? Were no, like... actually, I had a lot of nerd friends. I was in choir, so we oh. all liked the music together, and we'd all listen to it and just go like, oh, it's beautiful what they did with the score here. The French horns were wonderful. And then the cool guys in the back going, nerd. Nerd. The, the cool guys just didn't <laughs> yeah. even know, know we existed. <laughs> So awesome. well, I feel like Paul needs to have a trivia that he can answer. Do you know, um, you, you're a Parks guy, right? Paul? I'm a That's huge Parks nerd, yeah. All right, so when did, uh, here's an easy one. When did Disneyland open? 1955. Do you know the day? Hey, let's hear it for Paul. <laughs> oh, now another bit of trivia that uh, correlates. Thanks, Tony. Another bit of trivia that correlates with what we just did. What Disney animated film came out the same year that Disneyland opened? Oh, um... I'll give you a hint. We just talked about it. Lady and the Tramp. <laughs> Yay! Oh, did you know this, Brian? That was kind of a big hint. Right? That was, that was a a, kind of the I whole know. answer. Um, did you know this, Mr. Hall? That the Sleeping Beauty... Or, or I can't think today. 
that the Sleeping Beauty castle was built in Disneyland, but the film didn't come out until four years after. Did you know that? I told you that. You just told me that. Okay. I told you that, that. like, I think we talked about that the first podcast Shut up, Brian. This isn't about you. It's about me. Did, okay, wait, wait. Does anyone know, this includes Tony, does anyone know where you would find the center point of Disneyland? I'll, I'll let Tony take this one. Oh, oh, should I know this? Let's see. Center point of Disneyland is that um There's a marker. I always thought it was the castle, but it's not the castle, it's right? It's near the castle. Oh, is so, it the the statue of uh Walt? No. And... So if you walk through the castle and if you go just right outside towards the carousel, you will see this gold-plated kind of stake that they put into the ground and it's that is the dead center of Disneyland. And is that a landmark of some kind? Like people pay homage to the center. They of bow to it. They do, and they're like, "Oh, holy is thou!" Yeah, they do. It's kind of oh, weird. That's right. They that, do. Let's let's backpack today to the center of Disneyland and have our sandwiches there. <laughs> yeah. There was one it's time. It's like Mecca for Disney learners. It really is. There was one time that I was walking There's and prayers, people were sitting around there. it holding hands. I'm not Seriously? kidding. Seriously, I'm not kidding. And I walked by, going, "You guys need Jesus." I mean, I'm, <laughs> I'm a big Disney nerd, but. I, I would never, I I'm not going to do that. I would never do that in a million years. But yes, that is the dead center of Disneyland. And there's another thing. Did you know that when you are listening to Snow White at the Snow White Well, that is the actual original voice? Mm-hmm. Um, is it? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Did you from know the that? the movie? Like they pulled it from no, the movie? No. So they actually had her come back like mm. 6,000 years later. And she was 850 years old at this point, but she still had almost the ident- like perfect voice, and so they had to record it, and they really gave her no choice because I think it was in her contract. Snow White was only out like what 15, 20 years before Disneyland opened. She wasn't dead. She, she recorded her- that when she was like 16. No, on the, the original. The, the, the original. original Snow White's Well wasn't added to Disneyland until like later in the park oh, years. Yeah, like it did Wind not. Paul, Win Paul, you should know this. I yeah. don't actually, but I think it was 1980. Oh, okay. Oh, if it was 1980, yeah, she was She old. was like 80 or 90 years old when she did it, but that was one of the last things she did for Disney. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. I apologize for my outburst earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. you better apologize <laughs> for your outburst. <laughs> What's Snow White's... What was the actress's name? Go ahead. Uh, and, Andrea Cassatelli or something. It's something Adriana, like that. Ca- yeah. And Adriana, Adriana Cassatelli. That's it. That's it. Yep, and she did it. And then did you know that Disney did not let her like actually sing in that octave, I guess you would call it? Um, she could never actually replicate that voice in public because they trademarked it somehow because it's Disney. Yeah, we talked about that on the Snow White episode. You know what? We talked about nothing, okay? <laughs> Leave me alone, Brian. <laughs> we I was just trying to be cool. It. You're the one who talked about it. You know what? Time to be it. That's what you sound like. So you still get to... What? <laughs> I feel like I need to come in between you guys. <laughs> but I don't know how. This is what we uh, do constantly. Yeah, it's kind of... It'd be hard to do that virtually, but... <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I think it's just about time for us to wrap up. Uh, Tony, this was you... such a special episode. It was. I was a very I... special episode of very... Bibbidi Bobbidi Brothers Bro- or whatever. Bro- Bros. Bibbidi Brothers. Bibbidi. Bibbidi Boobidi. Bibbidi Boobidi Bobbidi. Bibbidi Bobbidi Boobidi Bros. The Bibbidi Bobbidi Bros. Bibbidi Boobidi Bobs. The Bibbidi B Bros. Ah, Bibbidi Bobbidi Bobbidi Bobbidi. What was it clicking? I don't know. I'm weird. Oh gosh. Yeah, thank you so much, Tony. This has been awesome. Uh, before we go, is there anything upcoming that you'd like to share with our listeners? Are they? I know Ooh, you yes. got your podcast. Oh, well, yeah. I'd love for people to come listen to the Bancroft Brothers Animation Podcast. 
We're on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you listen to your your um, podcasts like this one. Yeah. Go check us out. We talk. <clears throat> we interview a lot of people that we've worked with over the years, people that we're just fans of. We're, you know, just like these guys are geeks for Disney and Disneyland. We're geeks for Disney animation or animation in general. So we interview all kinds of people that uh, through the years. So go there if you want to, if you're into animation and want to learn more about Disney animation too. Yay. Yeah, yeah, it's a very good podcast. It's something I do actually listen to, even though I don't talk about that. Oh yeah, I but listen I to do listen too. to it frequently, and it's a very good one. It's great, in Aww. my opinion. You guys, are, you guys are too kind. I Thank am. You. I am pretty cool. <laughs> um, and then what else? And is there any upcoming projects or anything that you kind of want to flaunt around? Uh, yeah, not too many that I could talk about. Um, like I said, I'm I'm involved with a couple right now that are just getting started. So. Nothing I can really shout out. We'll, we'll have to uh, join up again in a year or something. Maybe I'll have more to talk about. Please. Well, hopefully awesome. if you can find some distribution partners for Animal Crackers, we'd be happy to go over there and get some people in some seats. Thank you. I will say, though, that um, my brother and I are working on a 2D animated short right now. Oh. Um, Ooh. For, and we're hoping to premiere it on Instagram. I'm on. I'm Pumbaa Guy on Instagram, and my brother's Tom Bancroft1. And um, we're going to premiere this animated 2D animated short that we're doing right now with the mermaid and um, a little sea uh, I've sea seen lion. that, little pictures oh, on Instagram. Yeah. 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 You're gonna see more and more as we get closer to May. So Tom, my brother, and created a hashtag mermaid, which is kind of an artist challenge every year. Artists around the world draw mer- mermaids every day, one a day, all through May. And um, so we're gonna celebrate that with this short that'll hopefully premiere probably at the end of May. So Yay. stay tuned for that. Oh, how exciting. Oh, that's fun. That's awesome. I like that. Absolutely, absolutely. So do not forget to follow Tony and his brother, especially mm-hmm. on his podcast. And then I know you're at Pumbaa Guy, right? Out yeah. on Instagram. And his his is uh, Tom Bancroft 1, so that's important. One, yeah. Mm-hmm. Please, please, they're pretty cool. I like following. Awesome. I really do like following you and your brother because all the animation is quite fascinating and quite amazing. So I do like it. And all the artwork is just—it's all phenomenal. I just said that. Stop copying. You me. said animation, <laughs> and I said artwork. Why There's are you a difference. Me? God knows. Right. I'm just saying right. it's not all animation. It's like, it's like Napoleon Dynamite. Well. Gosh. All right, you guys, break mm. it up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That should be how you guys finish your podcast. I think you should get like a mom figure to come in and just say. <laughs> All right, you guys, break it up. Back to your chores now. <laughs> That's right. With a ruler? My With God. Ruler. <laughs> what? what abusive household did you come from? It wasn't abusive at all. We <laughs> yeah, didn't even own a ruler. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so thank you guys we so much for- We didn't even own a ruler? <laughs> Is that what you said? Well, I didn't have a need for one. <laughs> oh, my God, I love that. Okay, go Thank you guys so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed- We hope you have a magical day, and we will see you guys later. Bye! Bye.